It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Yesterday, if you follow our show, and I know you all do, guess what? We gave you the easiest parlay in the history of parlays, Virginia, excuse me, Villanova 80, Georgetown, I don't know, 10, they scored 48 points. Let's go to the next one, Texas Tech, 67, West Virginia, 78, North Carolina, 81, Boston College, 61, 85, 61. I will give you another one. Look, there's never going to be a parlay like what the one yesterday where what's the average margin of victory, 1,000? You are welcome, people. Keep it right here because I told you this. We are not gambling. We are investing. That's what we are doing here. We are investing. So you are welcome. Keep it here. Later on in the show, I've got two more to give you. I'm not in love. I will never be in love with a parlay as much as I was in the three-teamer that I hit you with yesterday. The news yesterday, very ironic. A couple weeks ago, our friend Jim Beheim, contributor to the show, said, well, you know, Wake Forest, Miami, others have bought their team. Well, guess what? Wake Forest got them. Wake Forest hit a late shot, tough shot, 74-74, 77-74. Jim Beheim goes to a press conference where the idiots gathered and asked him all sorts of questions. Look, I'm not going to get into what Syracuse should do for Beheim, what they owed him, what they did, and how the retirement went down. I don't care about any of it. What I care about is 47 years as a head coach at Syracuse, 58 years at Syracuse. This will never be matched. It is the greatest sports, what's the right word, career at one school in the history of sports. You can say, well, Mike Krzyzewski was there for a million years at Duke. Yeah, but he coached at Army. Uh, He played at Army. Uh, No, that's two schools. One school from player, freshman, till player, senior, to assistant, graduate assistant, 47 years as head coach, never leaving. Salute, Jim Beheim. Salute to you. 35 NCAA tournaments, five Final Fours, which shows you how hard it is to get to a Final Four. 2003 national champion with the great Carmelo Anthony, 1,015 victories, and a great dude. Like, I get it. All the little snarky media guys like Matt Norlander and others are going to whine and complain. Well, he went out swarmy with me. I don't care. If he respected you, and apparently he did or does me, he was awesome. Benetti and I sat for an hour on the court after a shootout. Actually, it was closer to 90 minutes. And just talking, talking ball, talking early days, talking legends, talking him and Dave Bing, talking him and Derek Coleman, talking him and Norm Ellenberger, you name it. He talked it, and it was freaking awesome. Every time he's on the show, and we'll try to get him when things settle down, what was he? Freaking awesome. Awesome. My wife shows up, softball coach, in Manly Fieldhouse, doesn't even know the man that came in 
to say, I will help you in any way. It was Jim Beheim. Jim Beheim then left, and her assistants came running in going, whoa, Coach Beheim. She's like, who's that? Well, turns out who's that really, really helped her a lot. In fact, I was doing a Michigan-Syracuse game at Michigan. I called him. I said, hey, I'm dating your softball coach. Can she catch a ride on the team play? He's like, hell yeah. So I go in. Uh, league shows up. Anyway, I go to see Beheim before the game. He goes, what? Now I'm your, I'm your pimp? What a greatest dude ever. Watched basketball like nobody I've ever seen. He had a little office off of the training room uh, in the carrier dome. Is this big? And he had this TV that was no bigger than your uh, video screen on your computer. And I'm telling you, I don't know how many Syracuse games I did. They let me do one a year because they were nice to me at ESPN, and I was the best they had, so I requested it so I could go see Lee. So they let me do one a year, and I'd always go sit with him, and he's always watching ball. I don't care if it was a women's game, a men's game, Division I, NBA, Division Three. It honestly did not matter. Jim Beheim loved ball. Jim Beheim not complicated. Jim Beheim knows who he is, isn't afraid to express his opinion, and Jim Beheim is unique. Not politically correct. Good for Adrian Red Autry. I remember recruiting Adrian Autry as a player out of New York City, or trying to. We had no chance, but I was sniffing around New York City as a young recruiter. Adrian Autry deserved the job, got the job, 51 years old. Hell, he's been there 30 years, and he's had a 30-year association with the school. So good for Adrian Autry. But Jim Beheim. You owe Syracuse nothing. Syracuse doesn't owe you anything. I don't care what anybody writes about how you left, what you left, where you did it. You are freaking awesome. You were freaking awesome. You are a credit to basketball. You are a credit to coaching. And I hope, I hope that you can enjoy life outside of basketball. Man, I always think about this. I always think about Bear Bryant after the Liberty Bowl. Man, he didn't last very long. Guys don't have that and... You know, they go away. Don't go. Beheim, get on the set uh, at ESPN at the Final Four. Get on the set of CBS. Show people that you have a great personality because he does. He absolutely does. You know, how, how would Beheim be viewed if Key Smart in 1987 didn't make a game-winning shot against them and he had not won but two national championships? He'd have been viewed a lot different. But, hey, I love the man. He's great to me, but more importantly, he was great to my wife. More importantly, he was great to the game of basketball. Absolutely fan-freaking-tastic. There you go. When's it going to stop? When is it going to stop? And the next two stories that I'm going to give you fall in the category of when the Salmon Henry is this going to stop. What am I talking about? It's International Woman Day. Interna- on International Woman's Day, well, let's show it to you. Let's show it. Let's show In you Argentina, Alba Ruada is a transgender woman who was kicked out of classrooms, barred for sitting for exams, refused job opportunities, subjected to violence, and rejected by her family. But in the face of these challenges, she worked to end violence and discrimination against the LGBTQI plus community in Argentina. After 
women were barred from schools in Afghanistan. So, as my wife said, and I'm looking at it here, of all the women in the world, I mean, we got women everywhere. Of all the women in the world, we cannot come up with one woman to be the international woman of the year. We can't come up with one. We have to have a biological male as the woman of the year. Please, God, explain this to me. Please. Hey, look, I understand she overcame, blah, 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 blah. Hell, what woman had? Hey, you know what? Women overcome the same things. Father rejected them. Couldn't get a job. And then you know what they also overcome? Periods. All of the physical things that going into being a woman. Not saying I feel like a woman. Being a woman isn't a feeling. It isn't waking up today and saying, oh, I'm, a, I'm a woman. I'll be damned. No. When is it going to end? When is the attack on women going to stop? On International Women's Day, we can't find a single woman. Not one, as my wife said. Not one woman anywhere in the country, in any country. Hell, this is in Argentina. In any country, we cannot find a single woman to be a damn woman of the year. That's what you're telling me. That's what you're saying. Do you know how absurd that is? Do you know how insulting that is? Like, nobody's going to say it, although the world is maybe changing, but how long are we taking this crap? How long are we going to take the woman of the year is a dude? If you drew this up, if you drew this up and you said, all right, we're going to make a movie 10 years ago, and the woman of the year is going to be a dude. All right. Well, nobody would believe it. Hey, I'm all for trans. I am. I don't care. But don't tell me it's a woman of the year. Don't tell me that. What a freaking insult to women. Swear to God. It's the damnedest thing I've ever. Ah, it's not the damnedest thing I've ever seen. But when's it going to stop? I'll tell you something else. When's this kind of crap going to stop? You know, I've had enough of guys, and they're always the same guys. You know, like Sean Kemp now is in the news. Sean Kemp is one of the, if not the most talented people I've ever seen. I always say the three most talented high school kids I ever saw were uh, Kevin Garnett, Sean Kemp, and Allen Iverson. I remember recruiting Sean Kemp. He's standing, he's in jeans. He's like a freshman in high school. I go, hey, man, how about you just jump up and dunk this in jeans and flip-flops? I'm like, wow. Of course, that's silly because he went on to be a six-time All-Star. He went on to be, you know, a dunk icon, I guess. His dunks, his power over people, iconic in the NBA circles, but so is his stupidity. So this clown now is facing and was booked on felony drive-by shooting charges. Shots were fired between two vehicles at 2 in the afternoon. So at 2 in the afternoon, there's an argument. Shots are fired. It's a little bit unsure because Kemp is claiming self-defense. Great. So what am I doing? Like, what am I, in the middle of the afternoon, I'm just going to start shooting at people? Like, at what point, is, and like, former athletes are like a freaking pox on society. Like, former NBA guys are like a freaking pox 
They're like a freaking drain on society. We've had to listen to the racist tones of Kendrick Perkins, and now we got this guy, uh, boom, boom, shooting at 2 in the afternoon? Like, hey, look, uh, Dan, why does 2 in the afternoon uh, matter? I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. Does it really matter? Probably not. But it just hit me. I'm like, wait, did I read this right? You're saying it's 2 in the afternoon and you idiots are shooting up downtown? You idiots are going back and forth. Hell, at least Jamal Timsley, when he shot up downtown here, coming out of the 8-second saloon in Indianapolis, at least he did it like at 2 in the morning. A respectable time for criminals and idiots. But you NBA players, you're starting to become like a drain on us, you ex-NBA players. And grow the hell up. Jeez. Ah, speaking, when is it going to end? Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon beat a gun rap a little bit ago. Good for Joe Mixon. All right, great. Now, and I don't think Joe Mixon, or at least according to his sister, uh, he is not involved in this. So, yay, Rock, go fight, win Joe Mixon. But apparently, something happened in front of his house. Kids were gathering. They were running around his yard. Long story short, five shots allegedly were fired or confirmed to have fired, and one kid ended up getting shot in the foot at Mixon's house. I don't know. They say Nerf guns. The more I read, the more confused I got. His sister said Mixon wasn't there. Mixon isn't commenting. One kid, in fact, did have to go to the hospital. He did have a, have a foot wound where apparently he'll be okay, right? I mean, he's not going to... Nobody's going to die here. And then you read it, and you're like, kids are blocking the street with cars. Girls are there blocking the street with cars. Guys are getting out, and it looks like they're running with guns, but it might be fake guns. I mean, what in the hell are we doing? I mean, what about ding-dong ditching or kick the can? Capture the flag. Maybe a little night baseball game. What is it with you clowns and guns? And I'm not talking about mixing. I'm talking about kids. I'm talking about Sean Camp. I'm talking about anybody that just randomly brings guns out. Whatever happened, and maybe the kids were using Nerf guns. I don't know. I really don't care. But somebody did get shot. And I want you to think about that. Joe Mixon, I I would assume, uh, lives in a neighborhood probably gated, right? I mean, he's a professional athlete. Like, you can drive in the north side of India, and you go, okay, well, a lot of Pacers and their coaches live in there. Tony Dungy used to live next to Steven Jackson in a neighborhood, you know, over there. Guys, we know they're not living like I am, where you can just walk up to my door and go, hey, what's going on? No. I had a lady walk up to my door and tell me she was going to shoot my dog. It was in the middle of reading this article Dan Wetzel wrote out me USA Today, so I'm reading this article Knock on the door. Hey, I just want you to know I'm going to shoot your dog. You guys are rich enough that you should have a fence around here. I'm like, lady, they play together. Don't, whatever. Leave me alone. People are nuts. People are nuts with the shooting. And don't tell me black or white because as a white lady was going to shoot our dog. I just, I'm got to tell you, I just, I'm, I'm out of my mind with some things. Yes, I agree, Van Pastor, man. There are trouble just follows certain people. Mixon is certainly one. Kemp is certainly one. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Where's Zach Randolph? He's got to be somewhere here doing something stupid. You know we're going to get to Draymond Green here in a minute, but before, we are getting to something stupid, and his name is Mark Adams. Mark Adams is the head coach, was the head coach of the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Mark Adams got the opportunity, self-described opportunity of a lifetime to go from a junior college coach to an assistant on Chris Beard's bench 
When Chris Beard left and went to Texas, everybody there thought enough of Mark Adams to elevate him to the head coaching position. And look, I'm going to talk to Seth Greenberg coming up around 10 o'clock, and I, I don't know Mark Adams. Seth does. He spent time. I think Seth thought he was a great guy. Everybody talked about Mark Adams being a really good dude. Everybody. Well, except his players, and Mark Adams decided it was a good idea to quote scripture about, well, unbelievable, slaves and masters, among other things. As the great Jared Shaw said, it's really easy not to quote racist scripture. It's really easy not to talk about slaves and their masters in front of your team. And as I've said, what did this clown think was going to happen? All of a sudden, we're going to run out there and win the NCAA title because our coach told us that we need to serve our master. How stupid is that? Like, don't do it. And I'm talking to you, every one of you coaches, particularly you white guys. You white guys, you're hanging on by a thread in college basketball. I mean, whether it's announcing or coaching. You don't need to add to the stupidity of yourselves by saying, hey, hey, uh, yeah, I'm going to quote scripture about slaves serving masters. And you can defend it all you'd like. But I looked at it and I said, nothing else matters. He was dumb enough, insensitive enough, tone deaf enough to decide this was going to be a good move. And you know what else? I don't even care. You can say, well, you can't say that in front of African-American kids. You shouldn't say that in front of any kids. You should not. Look, 10 years ago, I don't know. When I was coaching at Bowling Green, my players make fun of the stuff that I did, probably get me arrested today. I don't know. But the truth of the matter is, eh, eh. actually, if I think about it, back last time I coached was 2008. I Never even thought of being that stupid. Uh, slaves and masters never plays in a locker room. You know what plays in a locker room? The bench. Hey, man, you don't play well, sit your backside. Showing film, ripping backsides, holding players accountable. Like the end game. I always call it looking beyond, let's just say no's, I say something else. So when I'm going in there, hey, I got a great thing to talk to the players about. Wait, wait, you'll see. It's really good. I think you guys will like it. You talked about what? You, you what? The end game here. Fellas, ladies, always think of the end game. What are you trying to get out of that? Are, do you think they're just going to run out and flip the script on the whole season because you got this Bible quote going? No, I tell you, they might flip the switch on an entire season if you show them a videotape of, I don't know, them playing better, maybe them playing worse, maybe them having swag. Hell, I flipped the script on an entire season by making everybody wear their clothes backwards. True story. Everybody turn around. So this would be behind, not inside out. We went on a six-game winning streak. There's a lot of ways to do it. But, hey, racist Bible scripture is not the way to do it. I don't care if you're a white coach, black coach, green coach, uh, Serbian I don't care. Be a little bit smarter. Speaking of smarter, Draymond Green. So Draymond Green, again, just he can't stop. He has to be a little drama guy. He just can't stop doing it. 
Draymond Green walked off the court after not receiving a pass from guess who? Uh, wait for it. Jordan Poole. Now, quick question. Do you remember who Jordan Poole is to Draymond Green? Let me give you a refresher. Bam! So Jordan Poole doesn't throw the ball to Draymond Green. So Draymond Green acting in the, well, in the Kendrick Perkins era of childishness and stupidity decides, hey, I'm walking off the court because, well, that's how adults in their 30s act when they don't get a pass. Yeah, on a playground at St. Peter and Paul Elementary School or at Draper's in Maryville, Indiana or wherever, but not in an NB. I didn't get a pass, man. Let's all do the Kendrick Perkins. Facts! Facts! Let's all do the everybody. Do. We used to have a friend of mine named Mike Clark. We used to call it the Funky Clark because he walked kind of funky. So he would join it. I go, Mike, let's go. We're, let's all do the Funky Clark. Hey, let's do the Kendrick Perkins, Draymond. Look at him. The play's going, and there he is. We can't show you the video because of copyright laws, but I got to tell you, man, it's unbelievable. I'm just going to walk off the court. Why are you walking off the court, Draymond, as a 30-year-old man? Well, I didn't get a ball. Really? You didn't get the ball? No, I didn't get the ball. So you just walked off the court? Yeah, I showed him. Hey, look, if you're not, I guarantee you, if you're not going to play right, then I'm going to walk off the court. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Oh, that's great. Like, there is going to come a time, and it may be now, that Steve Kerr actually grows a pair, which I'm not sure he ever has after his playing days. But I'm going to tell you that Steve Kerr and the organization, the organization, is going to tire if they haven't already of Draymond Green. He's just exhausting. Then he goes on uh, his little podcast and you know rips Dylan Brooks. It's all exhausting. And eventually, the bosses get tired. Do you know the name John Skipper? John Skipper was the head of ESPN for a while when I worked there. And I tell people, what a great thing. I had Aaron Andrews on my left, Sam Ponder on my right, discussing my relationship with my now wife, then trying to be girlfriend, Lee Ross, the softball coach at Syracuse. So I'm asking, you know, Aaron and Sam, and, you know, here I am in the middle. Like, pretty good place to be. But anyway, Skipper was given a speech, and I really liked Skipper. They brought all the talent in, quote, talent, of ESPN, and we all got in a big meeting, and he addressed, and he was great. I really liked him. I thought he was terrific. Turns out, I don't know what the real story is. There are rumors of cocaine and cross-dressing and just bad decisions. You know, the wokeness of the uh, Jamel Hill, uh, whatever that other guy, Mike uh, Smith, all the stuff that involved in that. Next thing you know, he is out. Starts his own network, takes Dan Lebetard with him. It's perfect for him and for Lebetard. But John Skipper is a guy that is in the news now. John Skipper has said he wants pay-per-view. Pay-per-view for the Super Bowl. Like, look, I'm not saying that there'd be a revolt, but there might be a revolt. Now he's saying, and I don't disagree with this, he said, after failing to land a new media deal, former ESPN leader and a a great public speaker, John Skipper, suggests that the Pac-12 should merge with the ACC. That would be really smart. Now, I don't care. That'd be really smart. I don't know that they can merge with the Big Ten. I don't know that that's in play, and I don't know that they can merge with the ACC. 
But basically what is happening to the Pac-12 is it's being sold for parts. We've seen two of the parts, USC and UCLA, come on over to the Big Ten. You're going to see two more. We've talked about it on the show. You're going to see Washington and Oregon eventually leave and go to the Big Ten. That's at least the rumblings that I am hearing. It's a complicated deal with those two. Really, uh, the Los Angeles market was an easy grab. UCLA, heavily in debt, needed Big Ten network money, needed the Big Ten. It was an easy grab. These two are a little more complicated. They're not as pretty. They're not as sexy. They don't have L.A. So there you go. Uh, Long story short, ladies and gentlemen, this would be a great idea. It really would. It truly would. I'm all in on this. It's going to happen. It's either going to be sold for parts or the entire league is going to say, all right, okay, we're going. We're going and we're going right now. So we'll see what happens. Like, I'm kind of intrigued by this, not to the point uh, of being like, well, I'm going to follow it every day, but I do like the fact that UCLA or USC may be coming to Memorial Stadium or up to Ross H Stadium at Purdue, and I can go see those teams play. I mean, look, no offense to my friend David Hookstead, but damn, it's sure a lot more fun to watch USC play than Iowa or Wisconsin coming in. And we got the thick ankles going. So I ain't mad at you. I ain't mad at you. Uh, add Kevin Blackstone to the list of stupid. All right. So Kevin Blackstone's the Washington Post. And Washington Post guys, Feinstein and all these guys. By the way, John Feinstein uh, used to be a friend of mine until he started making fun of my career. My God. I did not know who this analyst was. I think it was an Atlantic 10 game. I'm like, this is the worst I've ever heard. It turned out to be Feinstein. I was in shock. Like, it was so bad. I just, I'm like, John, damn. I don't know why John turned south on me, but who knows. Uh, The Washington Post and Kevin Blackestone. You see Blackestone on that one show uh, where, you know, you you say stupid stuff and you get points. Uh, They are suggesting, they're demanding that Major League Baseball boycott Florida to protest Governor DeSantis. There you go. Uh, The last time Major League Baseball bowed to the lefties, uh, was over the MLB All-Star Game, and it cost black-owned businesses in Atlanta a ton of money. See, here's the deal. The media on the left, man, if you don't agree with them, if you are on the other side, man, are they coming for you? Man, are they after you? We don't agree with you, so we're boycotting you. Really? So we have, I don't know, look at your fingerprints. Here's your fingers. We got 80 bazillion people in the world. And everybody is different, literally. Every makeup of everybody is different, from your fingerprints to your face. Like, we can have facial recognition and know exactly who you are because your face is unique. Your fingerprints are unique. Your thoughts are unique. Yet, we're all supposed to think the same. We're all just supposed to think the same because Kevin Blackestone, whatever the hell Kevin Blackestone is, thinks that Major League Baseball should boycott Florida and move all of their spring training to Arizona. I got two words for you, Kevin Blackstone. Go away. Do yourself a favor and just go away. Look, I get it. We all get it. If you're going to work for the Washington Post or you're going to work for ESPN or you're going to work for any newspaper, Indy Star, you got to have that sensibility that, hey, I got to get woke here to survive. And maybe if Kevin Blackstone and other or gets gets this picked up, he too can make Kaepernick money. That's the goal here. All these guys, 
boy, yeah, boycott Florida because, A, Kevin Blackstone says so in the Washington Post. Washington Post used to have some, I call it suck, used to have some guts, used to have some gravitas. Now it's got spit. All right, couple minutes, 52 and 34, that's right. That's what Ryan Grigson was as the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts. He won 16 in a row against in-league opponents, meaning the AFC South. 16 in a row, breaking the Dolphins' record in conference. Man, he is a man's man. And I got it, he is now senior vice president uh, of the Minnesota Vikings. Oh, by the way, won 13 games. Yeah, but they lost in the playoffs, man. Yeah, okay. Yeah. How's it gone for the Colts since they weren't smart enough to keep Ryan Grigson? I'll answer it for you. They stinks. They absolutely stinks. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I do have a parlay for you. Yes, we are going to talk to Seth Greenberg at the top of the hour. But I got to find out from my man Grigson, who, what's going on here in the NFL? What, what happens this time of year? How are we determining that this quarterback is better than that quarterback? And you know we're going to get some Northwest Indiana food recommendations like El Rodeo, like, like the wheel, although the wheel – just got sold. All right. We're going to be right back. Ryan Grigson, general manager extraordinaire of the Colts, hated, hated, hated by Bill Polian and others, but will be an, a, a general manager again because you know what? When you win like he won, you get what you deserve. We'll be right back with the great Ryan Grigson. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I've said this for years. There will be a day when general managers are, well, selected because the owner wants to win. I mean, that sounds silly, right? I mean, and and maybe it is silly, but I tell you, uh, there will be a time when owners want to keep their teams competitive, tough, accountable, And that's what Ryan Grigson did here in Indianapolis, 52 or 54 and 32, and no losing seasons, 16 and 0 in his conference, the AFC South, never lost to the Tennessee Titans. And when I say never, uh, let me, never. Now the Colts can't get out of their own way. They're a complete train wreck. They were built on a house of sand, but this guy builds things on tough. He's a senior vice president for player personnel for the 13 well, you're 13 and four Minnesota Vikings. Uh, wherever great. he goes, he wins. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Ryan Grigson, 13 and three. Is that what it was? I screwed that up. Well, you, you counted the playoff loss, so that's fair. Hey, all right. 
you are the senior vice president for player personnel, which is, in my view, correct me if I'm wrong, there's two things involved here. One would be, you know, finding players during the season. The other is the draft. All right, specific to quarterbacks in your brain, because you drafted Luck over uh, RG3, and everybody said it was a no-brainer, but who knows? What in this draft, if you were drafting a quarterback, what all are you looking for? What does a guy in your position study the most? Well, I think the game has changed since I first got in the league, and mobility is really, really um, near the top now. I still believe that um, there has to be those intangible factors as well that, you know, you can – the great teams that sustain success, I think – they have quarterbacks that can kind of put a team on their back and do those types of things and, and and will a team to win with what they have under the hood. And a lot of times that's just sheer will and toughness, preparation. But, I mean, you need an element of arm talent. You need an element of mobility nowadays. Uh, it's got to be matched up with the scheme correctly. There's a lot of moving pieces. Um, but guys that win in this league now tend to be able to um, win under duress and make plays and extend plays with their legs, um, which doesn't always equal a, a long shelf life. But with the guys they have on the other side of the ball now, with every pass rusher running four or five or better, it seems like, and even interior D linemen, you, you, you need that in a lot of ways. Um, but then there's always, you know, great coordinators that have uh, can match scheme to players that aren't like that. And there's been great players that get the ball out that play from the pocket exclusively. So, um, I think you need, it's a case-by-case basis. Is there, like, all right, we see this, and I, I've done uh, I've done this show, and I've, I've listed them. I've listed Christian Ponder, Jake Locker, Baker Mayfield, Darnold, uh, Trubisky, uh, E.J. Manuel. It seems like the guys that rise up in the combine or after the season is over at quarterback don't really pan out. And we're seeing it this year. Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, man, they're rising. Like, what do you look at? What is it? The tape mostly? What do you look at most relative to rising at the combine in a workout? Well, I think it, I think history proves it's it's such it's sad to say, but as much as hard as we work and as much data as we compile, it's still it's still tough to hit. And I mean, you know, you have the, the there's guys that are winning football games that were taken in the late seventh round. Now there's guys like Johnny Unitas that went in the ninth round, they got cut, Kurt Warner, there's all those types of guys. But I think um, when it comes to the combine, it should be it should be just a small piece, I think. Um, you should know those physical traits when you're watching the film. If they're not as pronounced on the film when you're watching them there and then they're only pronounced at the combine, I think there's something missing there. So, um, you know, you, you have to, of course, take that into account if a guy's a freak uh, at the combine, I think. Um, you know, but I think the body of work for most people that do this, um, you know, is is really the key, what the guy has done. And then if he's young, you know, there's unrealized upside there. So there's some projecting to do there. And I think that, you know, in our sport versus like baseball where, you know, you're looking at kids much younger, those scouts have it a lot harder than us. You know, working with a, I worked with a guy in Cleveland that, um, you know, was a longtime baseball guy. And just hearing some of those stories, I'm like, wow, you guys, you guys have, have, have to use your imagination a lot more than we do. Ryan Grigson has been involved in winning part of two of the three greatest comebacks this year, the historic 
second half comeback against the Colts. I mean, the greatest show in turf, Philadelphia with Andy Reid when he was with Seattle. Even Cleveland won their first road playoff game uh, in like since 1968. So when I talk to Ryan Grigson, I'm talking about winning 13 wins with Minneapolis, division titles. If you want crap, go elsewhere. If you want real, stay right here. Look, Indianapolis won 16 in a row with five different quarterbacks against their division. I mean, that is involved in picking up guys. So don't at me, people. Uh, if you want if you want crap, it's over there. All right. So when, when you get in a position where you're, you win 13 games, because this is the position you're in, you lose in the first round of the playoffs, you know, uh, well, you know, God, they couldn't do it in the playoffs. How does an organization view 13 wins, but you lost in the first round of play? How do you how do you do how do you deal with that internally? Well, our head coach and GM, I I personally, the first thing I said because it, it's crushing. You lose at home, believe me, it's crushing. Um, you get a home playoff game in your first year, um, but I I because I've been through it, I really you know instead of being on the other side of it where I just want to be miserable and hate the world. It's, I was, you know, really quick to say like, guys, look what you did in year one. I mean, 13 wins is, 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 is a, is a high number. Um, and to win our division in our first year, um, that's another, uh, a great milestone for, for a new regime. So I was just like, you know, Hey, we didn't win the playoff game. They, you know, they were obviously not happy. They're not satisfied at all, but it is a good foundation. I mean, I mean, there was, you know, we would have signed up for that when I came here last February, if we know that that's how the season was going to go. So I think, you know, we have higher achievement on our minds. And and those two guys, you know, Quasi and KO, uh, Kevin O'Connell, I think they're they're primed for, for, for the challenge. And we have a lot of challenges and a lot of things we're trying to work through in free agency and try to fit that puzzle together along with the draft and all these pro days. I mean, it's 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 a lot of craziness, but I think you know we have a GM that's uh, got a kind of maestro way about him, and I think it's going to come together. What what it right, so Saquon Barkley, you get tagged and it's ten million dollars. Uh, Rush Lineman got tagged the other day and it was twenty million dollars, which is in my little brain clearly a rush tackle or a rush end or whatever is more valuable than a running back how how do you balance or is this a new nfl in that it's weapons 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 I, i've been all over the colts you take a freaking guard in the sixth round and you think that's going to change your franchise it's idiotic to me you don't need to comment on that but the truth of the matter is it seems like it's all weapons and weapons can be on the defensive side of the ball as well i think this league is cyclical you know just when somebody starts doing something different that seems kind of um, you're on an island, then people start, and you have success because everyone else is one way, then people start kind of piggybacking off that. So in terms of the running backs, I think that these running backs now people are starting to take notice of because the more involved they are in the passing game, um, that, you know, and I was with Marshall Falk in, in St. Louis, and I think that's what made those teams great and why we put up so many points is, you know, he, he was, we had two Hall of Fame receivers, but he had as good as hands is those guys. So um, when you get those mismatches with your running backs and these running backs that are coming out now, that can be such an influential part of, of the passing game. 
I mean, that makes a difference. So their value continues to rise, I think, within our league. But pass rushers for a long time, you know, left tackle, um, you know, these edge rushers, not everybody calls them edge. You're an edge, edge, it's edge now. Like there's, um, but there's, you know, the the edge rushers, the left tackles, the quarterbacks, uh, your number one corner, obviously those are the prime spots. And then wide receiver has really come a long way You're, with these deep threats and and the guys that can go get the football, but also can run after the catch. And everybody runs 4-4 now at the combine. So, um, you know, it's, it makes it a little more difficult to to really, you know, split hairs with some of these guys. But guys that can impact down after down, those are the guys you want. I remember you in high school. I didn't recruit you because, well, frankly, uh, we didn't think you were leaving Minnesota. But people don't know how versatile you were. Handle the ball, pass the ball. You weren't just some big, strong dude playing on the block. No, thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, I, I probably wasn't leaving Minnesota in that first round. I'm a very um, loyal guy. Minnesota, I was born and raised here, and Minnesota raised me. And, and uh, I have a deep affection for the state of Minnesota and the culture here and the tradition and, and my family roots. Um, one of my great, great uncles was actually the dean of the dentist, dentistry school there at the University of Minnesota in the, in the 1930s or 40s. And he was, you know, world renowned in that in that regard. Um, so I probably wasn't leaving Minnesota the first go around. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I uh, led my team when I finally did get to play uh, at Iowa State. I led my team in all five major statistical categories. Now, some people would say that's, uh, you know, that's an indicator that the rest of my team wasn't that good. But that's not true at all. I played with a very good set of teammates. Um, you know, I just I just came up in a way that that you have to be an all around good player. You mentioned Dave Thorson, your high school coach, is a guy that I knew a long time ago. Uh, the impact that a coach had on you, you mentioned that he's, he's credited by you with a lot of your success. Yeah, 100%. You know, when I came to Dave, I was a, I was a kid who had started playing basketball from a very, very young age, five, six, and, and not only I can uh, hear five him. or six years can old. Can Ryan hear me? And not only that, I, I played basketball at a very intense level at five or six years old for, for, for that time period. Um, you know, we were running, it, it It always, you know, cracked me up later on in life when I was a teenager in college and, and we would do our conditioning and we would have, you know, 30 seconds to to finish our, our you know, killers, our, our, our man makers, as they're called. I mentioned Justin Fields. You're in the same division. You want him gone or you want him in there? Those mobile quarterbacks, they're tough to defend, man. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be mad if he, he was out of there. <laughs> Is this quarterback class, because, you know, is this quarterback class, do they have a luck? Do they have a, you know, is there greatness in this class, in your opinion? I think there's a cluster of guys that are really interesting. If if, if I had to pick one, I think there's enough there uh, to get in the weeds and, and, and feel if they are or not. I don't know if um, there's anybody you put on that you say, okay, he's generational, with like that word that everybody uses now. But I definitely think there's good NFL starters in this cluster. And you've got to, again, you got to match the right scheme, put the right people around them and, and so forth. So I think there's definitely some good candidates that can, you can win, win football games with. What's the environment? You've been in every environment. It seems to me with that whole skull thing, which I don't know what the heck that means. That's a Norwegian thing. I'll let you explain it. But it seems to me like you're in Cleveland where people are nuts. Indianapolis during your time here, people were all jacked up. Now we're hoping that we can win a game uh, ever since you left. Uh, what is it? Minnesota. What, what's the environment there for, for NFL football? I 
I personally feel like it's the best experience I've I've had and my family has had in, in a stadium. Um, you know, they have this snow that comes down. Um, they have this whole, you know, defend the North kind of deal going. And it's it's with all the former greats on the screen and they bang the drum. There's this like this Nordic influence uh, with fire. And it's 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 very cool. Uh, my kids love it. And then the skull chant, obviously, when you see, you know, 70,000 people doing that, it's it's pretty fun. And then when things, you know, get crazy in there, you can feel it because it is a dome and all the energy is kind of trapped. Um, but we've we've had some moments this year that were just unbelievable as a team is, you know, in any season I can remember in 20 plus years, the games and the roller coasters of emotions and the way that. I feel like we came out on top in some pretty incredible situations. And it's, I think that's the fiber of our team and, and, and our leadership have infused that in these, these players. And we're going to continue to, because again, you know, at the end of the day, if, if you don't win, it doesn't, nothing matters. Nothing else matters. The preparation, your whole system, everything in, you're not helping anybody's family if you don't keep that the main thing. You've been a part of remarkable things. You've been a part of two of the biggest comebacks in the history. You were a part of, the, I think, the worst play call in the history of the NFL, the, the fake punt against New England. You're also a part of a 33-point comeback this year. Ryan, you're sitting there. You're watching the team you used to be general manager of the Colts whooping the crap out of you. I mean, just whooping you. And then all of a sudden, second half, here it comes – what 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 was going on with all of you when this was when this was transpiring this year? It was surreal. Uh, it was really surreal in many ways. Actually, you can talk to Joe Wrights one day. You know, um, you know, off camera. But I saw him at halftime. You know, yeah. Big Joe. He, he married a girl from my hometown. He's just the greatest guy. I think everybody wants their kid to grow up and be like Joe Wrights. But uh, we kind of talked at halftime and. It was, you know, we were getting thumped, 33 nothing, like you said. Uh, we had come up here in 2016, my last year in Indy. I remember we started three rookie offensive linemen, and they had the number two defense in the league. And somehow, some way, everything just went right for us. We ended up winning 34-6, to and everything went wrong for them. And we had kind of spoke about how that had kind of happened to us on that day. But I also, you know, just talking to Joe, I was like, well, we still, you know, we still have a half. And that's when you're when you play in this league. And I think, you know, as a coach, um, GMs, no guys have been through it. You, you never just think you can't win. Um, teams give up a lot of points. They had given up a lot of points prior uh, in prior games. And we had two quarters left. So I never gave up hope. I truly never gave up hope. And I feel like the playmakers we have, you know, when you look at Justin Jefferson and, and, and Kirk Cousins and, you know, Hawkinson and, all the players that we have, we had a way of climbing back and KO and his play calling and our resilience that he pretty much branded on this team. It, it was, it came to fruition. So um, I, I told my wife, you know, like that, that game was obviously the Buffalo game was ridiculous, but that game was, was great in a lot of ways. And, 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 and for me, it was, we got, we actually just got a game ball um, when I got back from the combine. And I always forget that's when we, we actually clinched the division as well when we won that game. So it's special in a lot of ways. And, you know, that ball is right behind me. 
I know you got to run to a meeting. Last thing for people from Northwest Indiana, you are a food connoisseur. You and I enjoy the encased meats. You and I enjoy Real Taco, the wheel, which just got sold. If, I, if you were going to give advice to somebody traveling to the region or Northwest Indiana, which is west of I-65 and north of US-30, and anybody else is just a John Morant pretender. You know, that's all they are. You're, you're pretending. You're, you're from Valpo and you're like, hey, I'm from the region. No, shut up. But if I were going to say to you, uh, best Mexican, best in case meats, best family style, where are you eating in Northwest Indiana? This could be a whole segment. But first of all, people <laughs> need to understand the Calumet region is its own sovereign state, in my opinion. And if there's yes. a place that has pizza, Mexican, and sandwiches, there's no better place on earth. So I would say Taco Real and Hammond is, I've traveled the country. I think it's the best Mexican in the country. Uh, Romano's the best hoagie in the country. Used to be in uh, Highland, now it's in, uh, I think, Cherville or Griffith. I've had it door dashed to me whenever I've been in, back in town for a funeral or whatever. Mine are done, Shoops, best burgers on the planet. Um, I would say in Super Sub, Little place in Hessville, in Hammond. Best Italian beefs on the planet. Aurelio's my right. favorite pizza uh, on the planet. That, that's, that's where I was going to go because a lot of people, mine used to be the old mill in Merrillville, but that closed down. I'm all in on Aurelio's. Uh, Real Taco is endorsed by literally everyone. Every human being alive will tell you. Go to Real Taco and forget about the rest of the day. That's it. That's it. <laughs> the best. Hey, did you know that the uh, the wheel got sold? Yeah, I, I've had some interesting nights there. They're in uh, Top Notch because, you know, those restaurants, they just don't close. You can go there whenever. You get breakfast, you can get lunch, you can get dinner if it's 3 in the morning or if it's 1 in the afternoon. The menu is always open at those Greek places. I always say if a Greek man in a suit and tie – comes up to you as the mater d when you walk in it's the greatest you got to go i appreciate you yeah, brother. Thanks i gotta for go the man time, ryan you got it brother we'll see, see you brother thank you all right that's ryan grigson former general manager of the colts current senior vice president player personnel he's getting called into a meeting i i love the guy the guy and i we that's about the only the third or fourth time we've ever spoken to one another people in the indie media used to think we were like boys because he would only come on my radio show and all the little shavers would get mad. But the truth of the matter is uh, we just connected through Northwest Indiana. Northwest Indiana is its own sovereign state. Don't even try me, people. Don't try me. Don't try me about different places. Don't try me. Well, you know, I'm from Valparaiso. We're from, no, you're from Valparaiso. You're a cake eater. Get over there. Uh-uh. Well, I'm from Crown Point. Crown Point, you're making a move. I'm not mad at you, but Lowell, I can never get into. These are just, if you're from Indiana, you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, Ryan Grigson, nice enough to come on. Seth Greenberg's going to join us. I do want to get into something. I got a couple minutes here. I do want to recap college basketball last night. Uh, we talked about Syracuse losing on a unbelievable step back three. And again, the irony of Jim Beheim calling out Wake Forest and Steve Forbes for, quote, buying a team. Well, that bought team ended Jim Beheim's 
career. North Carolina State just belly-whomped Coach Young and the guys at Virginia Tech. I mean, they crushed their soul yesterday. It was like 20 all day. West Virginia, I told you, that's one of the games we had. West Virginia playing better. Uh, Texas Tech without a coach. Corey Williams doing what he can. But I'm telling you, you get thrust into that with really only a day or two notice. you got a real problem. Corey Williams did the best he could, but hey, look, bad matchup. West Virginia toughness. West Virginia was going to be there all day. Uh, Texas Tech didn't have a chance in the game. Pittsburgh and Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech actually was playing pretty good. Pittsburgh, though, I like Jeff Capel's team. His team is experienced. They're tough and they're fast. You see there, 89 points. You look around. I try to tell you this. Other than the Big Ten, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, in a minute. But you're talking about 77 points. You're talking about 91 points. You're talking about 89 points to win games. Now, Ohio State, ladies and gentlemen, they got talent. Sensible, real talent. Akpara, real talent. Uh, Thornton, real talent, and it looks like with McNeil as a fifth-year senior now starting to get some buckets, they're putting it together. They got Iowa today. So you win a game, now you got to go play Iowa who can score it. It is going to be very interesting because of all the teams in the Big Ten assistants that I've talked to, they all mention, hey, wait a second here, Ohio State, if they can get this thing figured out, if they're young guys and they're older guys just as suing, get engaged like they should be, they make a little run here. They've won three in a row. They're playing way, 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 way better. They are. College basketball is unbelievable. This is going to be interesting. Mike Hopkins was the longtime assistant at Syracuse, and he was the heir apparent to Coach Beheim. Mike Hopkins, really a respected guy. Really respected. He's from the West Coast, California. Came in the kind of the California movement. Stevie Thompson and others came to Syracuse. But think about this. So Mike, Mike, this is interesting. Mike uh, leaves, goes to Washington. He hasn't done so well. He loses yesterday to Colorado in basically the play-in stuff, first round, whatever you want to call it, of the Pac-12 tournament. It's going to be interesting. Is this going to be... Mike Hopkins' last game, same day his mentor, his coach, Jim Beheim's last game. It's kind of fascinating, really. It's kind of ironic, whatever words you want to use. Uh, man, you see certain things, right? Old Miss loses their coach. They go in against South Carolina. Terrific, terrific. I can't wait for today. Here's what I'm doing after the show. I'm doing a hit in a Columbus radio station. I'm walking my dog, and I'm having a day. Got to take Lee to the airport, but I'm having a day. Don't at me, people. My friend is next, Seth Greenberg. Stay right here. It's going to be great. We're talking fall. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
College basketball is heating up. We will get into our friend Seth Greenberg in a moment. That man is busy. Like, that man is all over the freaking place. Don't at me about it either, people. All right, the news of the day. Let's recap. Jim Beheim. listen to this. This is, this is going to be something that's never going to be matched. 58 seasons at one place. 47 as the head coach. Never left. When you talk to Jim Beheim, you get a history lesson. I'm talking about going back to Marvin, the human eraser, Webster, uh, you name it, Dave Bing, everything in between. The guy did it for 58 years at one school that will never, ever be touched. I'll give you another thing. Mark Adams, he of Texas Tech, decided it was going to be a good idea for whatever the reason Mark Adams was going to go, hey, look, uh, let's get a Bible verse that includes slavery and slaves and others serving masters. Now, of all the things that you could get involved with, that, ladies and gentlemen, is the dumbest of the dumb because, well, quite frankly, the end game does nothing for you. Zero for you. Uh, I didn't tell Ryan and Dylan, but I got to do this story. I got to do this story right now. Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods' ex-girlfriend is alleging in court, her name is Erica Herman. Listen to this story. He, she is alleging in court that Tiger Woods and his people tricked her and locked her out of their shared home by saying, hey, look, pack a bag. We're going to the airport. We're taking a trip. She gets to the airport. She's met by lawyers like, yeah, well, you're no longer in the house. Yeah, well, you can't go back in. They were together for six years. Six years. Now, I don't know who's crazy here. Somebody's crazy. I don't, maybe it's her. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's the lawyers. I got no idea. But you're going about the business of being a girlfriend of a guy who is on a rehab tour, a lifelong rehab tour. He went back to his Buddhist roots when he stood up in front of the nation apologizing for sexual exploits, the likes of which we have never heard before outside of, oh, I don't know, Johnny Holmes. You know what I'm saying? So now the man, listen to this. So the man decides that he is going to lock his girlfriend out. Erica Harmon has accused Woods of tricking her into leaving his, hers, her, her, his, really, mansion. To go on a short vacation and you get to the airport and you're like, yo, uh, you can't go back home. What are you talking about? I can't go back home. I want to go back home. Now you can't. You're locked out. Now, I had a guy that a friend of mine that would be like, hey, he would date a girl and we got tired of her. He wouldn't answer the phone. Or he wouldn't answer the door when she knocked out it in college. Now, the phone, of course, had to be a pickup phone. But that ain't locking a woman out. So she is claiming trickery. You tricked me. I did? Yes. And I want scratch. Listen to this. The court papers state that those working on behalf of Woods' trust, which is who she's suing, convinced Herman to pack a suitcase for a short vacation. And when she arrived at the airport... They told her you're locked out. 
They say that Woods' people paid for a hotel room and some expenses for a short period of time. She's seeking. Uh, they also say that Woods and his people took 40 grand of hers in cash, misappropriated it, uh, and scurrilously and defamatory about how she obtained the money. Yeah, I don't know. Says she has an oral argument that ensured she could live in the mansion for 11 years. All right, man. She's trying to get $30 million. I don't know who's to blame here, but this is awesome. Like when the life story of Tiger Woods is told, and it's like told every day, obviously the greatness, obviously the affairs. But what I said about the affairs is it's none of my business. It's none of my business. It'll never be my business. What happens behind closed doors is between a wife and her husband. If Tiger wanted to do that and his wife was cool, hell, one of the most popular coaches in the history, not Bobby Knight, not Gene Caney, in the history of sports in Indiana had an open marriage. So don't at me, people, about that. It's just fantastic. And then you got to go with the locking out of the woman. This is fascinating. All right. Yesterday, Nick Van X, not Nick Van X, Nick Van Fleet, or somebody Van Fleet. I forget Van Fleet's real name, but someone Van Fleet. I think it's Nick Van Fleet. Is it Nick Van Fleet? I don't know. Frankie Van Fleet, Eddie Van Fleet, Eddie Van Halen. Uh, But Fred Van Fleet, it's Fred. Jeez, it's Nick Van Exel, Fred Van Fleet, Eddie Van Halen, Claude Van Damme. I'm getting my vans mixed up. Hey, you got to listen to this video. No player has ever, ever crushed the soul of referees post-game like Fred Van Fleet. Let's hear it right here. I mean, I don't mind. I'll take a fine. I don't really care. I thought, you know, um, Ben Taylor was terrible tonight. Um, I thought that on most nights, you know, a couple of the, you know, out of the three, there's one or two that just the game up. You know, and it's, it's, it's been like that a couple couple games in a row. Um, Denver was tough, obviously. You come out tonight, you're competing pretty hard. The third quarter, I get a bull tech. Changes the whole dynamic of the game. Changes the whole flow of the game. And, um, you know, most of the refs are trying hard. I like a lot of the refs are trying hard. They're pretty fair. They communicate well. And then you got the other ones who just want to be dicks and um, just kind of the game up. Nobody's coming to see that shit. They come to see the players. And um, I think we're losing a little bit of the fabric of what the NBA is and was, and um, it's been disappointing this season. Um, you can look up most of my texts this year have been with Ben Taylor officiating. So at a certain point as a player, you feel it's personal, and um, it's never a good place to be. That's not why we lost tonight. We got outplayed, um, but it definitely makes it tougher to overcome. Yeah, there you go, man. Uh, you ever heard a player talk like that? Seriously, have you ever heard a player after a game sit there so matter-of-fact and put the perfect swear words in the perfect spot. Like, I'm on the YouTube chat here, and I got to tell you, I think everybody will agree with this. Putting the perfect swear word in the perfect spot is an art. It is a type of art form, like Coach Knight and others have done rants on the F word and how it is a noun, a verb, an ad, whatever you want to put it, you can put it in there. Right? All right. But the truth of the matter is, uh, he very succinctly put different swear words in the perfect spot to emphasize what it is that he was trying to say, and what he was trying to say 
was that the refs, particularly one of them, F the entire game up. You know, one of the great things about coaching and one of the funniest things about coaching is how people now get so upset about swearing. Like, out of the blue, swearing is, oh, I don't know, taboo, awful. Yeah, I I walk a lot now. Like, after the show yesterday, I took my dog Lula to the golf course. Golf course isn't open. So I walked nine holes, which is basically three miles. I had Lula on a chain. And I took her off, and I just let her run. And I put my headphones on, and I love the Humpty Dance. I love If I Were a Boy by Beyonce. I love Shake Your Tail Feather. I love, I'm into, I'm into all of it. And honest to God, in every one of these songs, like even that jump around that Wisconsin does, there's some lyrics in there that you're like, what? What, 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 what? What are we talking about? So although, although uh, I, I listen to it, I cringe at it. And then when I get in the real world, or at least in the coaching world, like swearing is bad. Swearing is an art form. And you, you, Fred Van Fleet, you captured the art form perfectly. And I ain't mad at you for it. In fact, I would argue that you, sir, are a genius. Absolute genius. The other news of the day, is that Sean Kemp, former Elkhart Concord High School, Mr. Ba- I don't think he was Mr. Basketball. I think Woody Austin was in Indiana. Most talented or one of the most talented players that I have ever seen. He, ladies and gentlemen, was arrested facing felony charges in Tacoma for a drive-by shooting. Now, Kemp and his peeps, his lawyer, is claiming, they are claiming, self-defense. All right, cool. But... Two o'clock in the afternoon, what are you doing? Getting in whatever hassle it is, unless you're just driving by and someone's shooting at you, why are you getting in a hassle that leads to you having to go back and forth with gunfire? When is this crap going to end? Like, when is the Wild West mentality going to end? I mean, when are we going to say, all right, look, hey, enough is enough, right? Enough is enough. And let's decide, and you, you NBA athletes, you're becoming a pain in the, you're becoming a pox on our society. We got the racist Kendrick Perkins. We got this. We got guys almost like daily, daily being stupid, UX NBA players. Look, I hear it. I'm a grown man. You're a grown man. I'm a grown man. All right. All right. I'm a grown man. Uh, All right. We're going to have Seth Greenberg on at 10.30. Tell Danny Z we'll get him on tomorrow, if that's all right. Uh, Seth just texted me. We're going to have him on uh, at 10.30. Uh, He's traveling tomorrow. So if that's all right with Danny Z, uh, we'll do that. There you go. But I'm telling you, NBA players are becoming a pox on our society, and they're giving me a headache. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, yes, I expect Patrick Ewing to be fired, and I am sad about that. I like Patrick Ewing. Patrick Ewing yesterday, they ended a horrific season. They got their brains beat out. 
It was like 80 to 48. It was a 32-point loss. It's the largest loss ever for Georgetown and probably ever uh, in the Pac-12 or the the Big East tournament, uh, that kind of thing. You know, that's what we got. So at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, at the end of the day, Patrick Ewing will probably be let go in the next couple of days. Normally what happens is they sit, give you a day, get home from the tournament, get back to D.C. Maybe, you know, we saw it with Lane Kiffin. Maybe they let you go on the tarmac. I don't know. I hope not. Patrick Ewing has earned the right to have a press conference because of his actions as a player, just like Bayheim has, although nobody owes nothing to you. But I would like, let me put it this way, I would like to see Patrick Ewing have a chance to say thank you. He did it yesterday, kind of in the press conference while he was talking about his job. But I would like to see him and all that he has meant to Georgetown have a deal. I would, I would love, I would absolutely love Love, love to see that. Uh, News on Kevin Durant. See, you guys laugh at this. I always said, like, I don't understand all the warm-ups that players do. Like, in basketball, dudes warm up. Like, you go to an Indiana game and guys are out there. Like, you used to go out, do layups, shoot, let's go. Now it's like a full workout. Well, Kevin Durant injured himself, uh, turned an ankle, in warm-ups. He's going to have an MRI today, and people are laughing about it. And I got to tell you, I get it. I mean, it's easy, right? It's just easy to do. We're going to laugh at you because you hurt yourself. You know, I think Sammy Sosa hurt himself. One guy hurt himself with a blow dryer. I don't think it was Sosa, but it was somebody, you know, and we laugh at that, and we get it. But athletes are no different than the rest of us. I mean, you put them out there, maybe they're, well, they are different. They're more athletic, but maybe you turn an ankle. You know, you got Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic's got a thigh. Uh, apparently, it's, quote, not good. Not good, Luka Doncic. All right. All right. He may be hurt. Don't tell me the season's too long, by the way. I, I don't, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that the season is too long because the season isn't too long. Charles Barkley said it best. He said it absolutely, absolutely the best. You're paid 30 or $40 million to play two or three times a week. Now, I get ripped. I've been ripped. I will continue to get ripped because, well, frankly, when you, when you talk like that or you say that your uncle went for 41 years to the steel mill five days a week working an eight-hour shift day after day after day, fanboys come out at you and they want to persecute you for that take. But that take is real. That take is no joke. That take is 1,000% real. And I was glad that Barkley said it. I don't know if you saw this either, but did you see where Barkley said uh, Kendrick Perkins has the disease of ESPN, which basically he says is when in doubt, create a narrative. When in doubt, create some nonsense. When in doubt, talk race. You know what I mean? I mean, when in doubt, spit it out. I love that Barkley said that because nobody is defending Kendrick Perkins. Jason Whitlock crushing him. Guys, you don't see Stephen A. Smith coming to his defense. You don't see Barkley coming to his defense. You don't even see any of the white media in the NBA who is so desperately trying to get down. They don't come to his defense. Kendrick Perkins, 
on a bit of an island. Now, you got to understand, Kendrick Perkins made millions. He's got FU money. Whether he cares about this or not, I have no idea, right? I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe he's sitting back going, hey, I don't know what to tell you. But the truth of the matter is, if you're Kendrick Perkins, uh, you got a little problem. Oh, I'd love to have Danny Z on. Danny Z is awesome. We're going to talk a lot of things with Danny Z. But I'm just telling you, when Barkley speaks, everybody listens. You know who else is like that? Chris Russo. You guys from Indiana may not know who Chris Russo is, but Mad Dog Russo is unbelievable. That's why you see him, ladies and gentlemen, on uh, first take, and everybody kind of acquiesces to him because on the East Coast, nobody has more suck than Chris Russo. People love Chris Russo. Mad Dog and whatever, Francesa and all that, people love it. They don't like it. They love it. So there you go. So Chris Russo isn't defending him. Stephen A, not defending him. Barkley, not defending him. Whitlock, not defending him. Dockich, not defending him. I mean, where does a man turn? Where does a man turn? If Dockich isn't defending you, you got real trouble right here in River City. You know what I mean? If I ain't defending you or our YouTube chat is not defending you, you got a real problem. No, you got a real problem. And look, the fact of the matter is this. When you say something incredibly stupid, you want people to defend you. You want the woke crowd to go, oh, man, he's right. But not even the wokest of the woke, guys like Matt Barnes. We haven't heard from him. He did say, looks like they struck a nerve. Yeah, racism always strikes nerves, and it should. Shouldn't it? I don't know. I'm looking. Seems to me racism should strike a nerve, I think anyway. Guys are asking for Danny Pleasak. Major League Baseball is heating up, and I want to brag for a minute, shall I? I grew up a Cubs fan. I grew up like a lot of you, you know, that grew up or maybe are growing up, where back in the day I could imitate the batting stance of every single player on the Cubs, whether it was Don Kessinger, Glenn Beckert, Sweet Swing and Billy Williams, Ernie Banks. I mean, I could imitate them all. Lifetime. Lifetime love affair. Only teams I root for are my kids' teams, the Cubs. My stepkids' teams, my, they, they're included in my kids, and the Cubs. I like Indiana to win. I'm great, but it, but it ain't like the Cubs. So last night, I get a text from the Cubs catcher, Tucker Barnhart. Love Tucker Barnhart. He's from Brownsburg, Indiana, which is a great – Gordon Hayward's from there – Lance Lynn is from there. Drew Storen is from there. Tucker Barnard is from there. I mean, the list goes on from guys from Brownsburg. All right. But I'm doing, I'm just minding my own business. I'm watching hoops. I'm having a beer. I'm chatting. I'm loud. I'm ridiculous because I'm trying to will teams to win in my parlay. But Tucker Barnhart and I, the starting catcher for the Cubs, are texting. I got to tell you, I've known Tucker. I've sat with Tucker at Pacer games, but now that he's the catcher of the Cubs, it's a whole different meaning. I was sitting there thinking, wow, I'm still a kid. If Randy Hundley would have texted me back in the 70s, I'd have been like, holy crap, Randy Hundley's texting me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could get a text from Patino or Shasha, and I'm like, oh, great. Ah." But the catcher of the Cubs? Whew. Baseball has a hold, doesn't it? Doesn't baseball have like this ridiculous, silly, I don't know, idiotic grasp 
on us. Doesn't it have like a, man, I, like one guy, yeah, Gary Beatty says Rod Crew. Everybody's got their guy. Like George Foster, the big black bat, first one ever. So you know what we did as kids? We went out and got a big black bat. Why? Because George Foster had a big black bat and he was hitting 50 home runs. Everybody wanted to be a catcher. Why? Because Johnny Bench made catching cool. Serious business. Like, if you lived in Chicago, you were either a White Sox or a Cub fan. And you knew the batting stances of all of them. It was freaking great. All right, before we get, we're going to get Seth Greenberg uh, coming on here in a minute. He is doing a hit. Uh, I'm going to turn him on, actually, for SportsCenter uh, on Jim Beheim. But before we do, Draymond Green back in the news. He calls Dylan Brooks an idiot and a clown. And the Grizzlies have announced, and this is no surprise, this just broke, that John Morant will be away from the team for at least four games. Hey, Danny Z, real quick, I got about 10 minutes with you. Let me ask you a question. By the way, welcome to the show. Are you surprised at all that John Morant, you know, he missed the two. Are you surprised that they kind of just sort of just announced that he's going to miss four more? Where do you think this is headed? Well, it's tough, right? Because, you know, he didn't commit any crimes. So I don't, other than the NBA arguing that he broke some kind of NBA violation, which I don't, I assume they're not psyched about one of their players having a gun on video at three o'clock in the morning, but is there a, is there a rule against it that I'm unaware of? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I just know that there's something there because they now have suspended him for six games. You know what I mean? So there's something there. Yeah. Bad decision-making. Uh, if bad decision-making got you suspended, I would never be on the air. I'm just telling you. NFL Combine, I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here. And I'm hearing about how much the Colts are want to be involved with Anthony Richardson. Now, I've given the list of quarterbacks that rose in the draft, and they all stink. Buyer beware with Anthony Richardson. Where are you at with him after the combine? Yeah, I wrote a column about this. I actually think that the worst thing that could have happened to Anthony Richardson was for him to be the draft day riser. And here's why. He's a guy who is definitely a project quarterback, very raw, has a lot of talent, all that. But when you get taken in the top 10 to a quarterback needy team, you're expected to produce right away. And we've seen with guys like Zach Wilson that if that doesn't work out, that could be the end. You might only get one shot. So someone like him, when I did my first mock draft, I thought would be a great fit with Seattle, but their second pick, about 20 sit behind Geno Smith for a couple of years, learn from a veteran, kind of be eased into the NFL. And I thought that would be a good spot for him. But now this talk of, oh, he could, first of all, I think the him going number one is insane. I don't think there's any chance. But I top, I, in my latest mock draft, I have him going seventh to the Raiders because of just everything I'm hearing is this guy's going in the top 10 to someone. And if he goes to a team that's expecting him to be an immediate savior, I think it's bad for the team. And I think it's bad for him personally, to be honest with you. 
That's why I don't think, you know, a lot of people here in Indy are, are, you know, media guys are saying the Colts, if they stay at four, are going to draft him. But the Colts have a general manager that has really crapped out. He's lucky to have a job, and he is a survivor. And I've said if the Colts draft Anthony Richardson, it is not the general manager doing the drafting. It's going to be the owner doing the drafting because – Frankly, as a general manager, I don't think you got time to wait for Anthony Richardson to get accurate. No, and in fact, that's why in my latest mock, and I wrote about you actually, because I, I took what you said and I thought, okay, so Ballard, he's a survivor. He's going to try to do the safest thing he can do. So my latest mock is the Colts trading up to one and not taking Bryce Young, but taking CJ Stroud. And the reason for that is because I think Stroud, although I I believe he lacks the elite upside of Young, I think he's a safer pick. He looks more like a quarterback. He throws more from the pocket. It's more traditional. It's everything you would want in a number one pick if you were trying to save your job, which is he's probably going to be able to come in and be okay right away. Um, Like I said, he's got prototypical size. He's got prototypical ability. I like the Colts based on your analysis of Ballard to try to get C.J. Stroud in this draft. I do, too. I, I Look, I mean, I don't know whether he's a savior. You know, I had Ryan Grigson on, and he's like, yeah, there's no real generational quarterback. But you're right. C.J. Stroud looks like a guy that the Colts won four games. Let's say they win nine games. And at least now as a general manager, you got a quarterback that, you know, you got a little momentum. You see what I'm saying? You got a little momentum in your program as opposed to, well, in two years, we're going to have Anthony Richardson. Absolutely. I feel the exact same way. And I appreciate your insight is actually what led me down that path. So you're helping the site. Well, in more I wish ways more than people. I wish, I wish more people, including my kids, would be like, Dad, your insight's so good, I'm going to use it. it. It just doesn't happen. All right, walk me through. Hey, Danny Z, walk me through uh, what's going on, in your opinion, with Lamar Jackson. So I've been on record. I've said it many times. I'm not a huge Lamar Jackson fan. I think paying him a ton of money, guaranteed, locking your franchise into him long term is a mistake. However... I do find it hard to believe that all 32 teams agree with that assessment. And so it is a little bit, to use RG3's word, who I don't generally agree with, but when he said something smells fishy, I said, yeah, something is a little fishy here that these teams are so quick to say, we don't want Lamar Jackson. And again, that's nothing about what I think about Lamar or if I would pay Lamar. It's strictly based on the idea that someone will. It's just like what I wrote about Deshaun Watson, 31 Owners, general managers probably looked at Deshaun Watson and said, there's no way I'm giving this guy $230 million guaranteed and trading three first-round picks. But you know what, Dan? One of them did. One of them did. Right. And that's all it takes is one of them. So you'll never convince me that of the 32 teams, there's not one of them that wouldn't pay two first-round picks for Lamar Jackson. Give Lamar Jackson $250 million. You're just not going to convince me. So if that doesn't happen, if no one pays this guy, I would raise an eyebrow and say, it seems like there's something at play here. I, it, I, I always operate from the standpoint of it's not my money. Okay? It, it's not my money. All right? If I'm Jim Irsay, I, I'm spending money. And I'm, it, he spends it anyway. I would, I would give Lamar Jackson – what do you want? I'd give him an offer, and then I would make the Ravens match it. I, I just would. I, I, I'm a big Lamar Jackson fan. I get it. The best ability is availability, blah, 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 blah. I just think he's great, and I think if he comes to Indy, 
Um, well, it saves the GM's job, I think. And it gives you momentum because right now they hired a guy nobody knows. They don't have a quarterback, which is the sexiest position. And I'm, there's probably other teams like Atlanta, maybe uh, Carolina, other teams in that mix too. But I'm with you. It seems like something's going on here. Well, and to your point, what GM wouldn't want this guy? It's not their money, not really, right? Like, if you're a GM, right. there are no less than 20 teams in the NFL that you can't argue that they wouldn't be better tomorrow with Lamar Jackson than they are right now. Like, there's just no way around it. Yes, he could get hurt. Yes, he has his limitations. But at the end of the day, he's still, at minimum, a top 10 quarterback right now. Again, my issue becomes, like, do you give this guy five years? Because I don't think that's a good idea. Are you giving him 230 guaranteed? I don't think that's a great idea. But if I'm a fan of a team and they get Lamar Jackson and I've got him for you know maybe a, a healthy year or two, that's a chance to make a run. He's a GM job saver. What GM is it like, yeah, bring in Lamar Jackson. It's going to make me look awesome. That's what I'm saying. That's why I think ultimately, and maybe I think the Colts have said they're not, but they're idiots if they don't. But again, maybe Jimmy Irsay doesn't want to do that. But to your point, going backwards, people think there has to be a market. All right? There doesn't have to be a market in this case because the Ravens set the market. Now there's just got to be one offer. It doesn't have to be six. It's just got to be one team making one offer and then one team, the Ravens, deciding whether we're going to match that offer within five days, period. Ain't no market here. Yeah, that's an argument I haven't understood at all. And, and that's why I pointed back to Deshaun Watson. Like, what was the market for Deshaun Watson? Did the Browns do that because four other teams were beating one. down his door? Just one. That's literally all it took was one. That's all it ever takes is one. Which is back to my point. Like, if that doesn't happen, I would have some serious questions that something's going on. That's all. I agree. I Look, all right, what do you ultimately think happens here with Jackson and everybody's I guess, becoming least favorite quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. What ultimately happens with both? I, I don't know. I, well, Jackson, I don't know. I really don't. I, I, I like to think that there's nothing going on and that ultimately some team is going to come in and be like, yeah, we're, gonna, we're just going to make an offer. Um, I'd heard that, oh, the Ravens want a team to make an offer so that that just you know, takes the takes it out of their hands. Like, okay, that's what the price is. We'll pay it or we won't pay it. It makes it easier on them. Ultimately, though, like I said, some GM is going to convince the owner, like, we need this guy. We can win right away. The ultimate would be if it's the Jets. If they balk on Rodgers and go make an offer to Lamar, that would be awesome. Just from a content standpoint, from a storyline standpoint, if the Jets do that, I would stand up and applaud. I would think that would actually be pretty hilarious. That's got some sack to it right there. You know, people are tired. I'm going to stay with Lamar Jackson just for a minute. People are saying, well, you're going to go 10-7 and seven and lose in the first round. We just went 4-13 and 13 and didn't make the playoffs. So if, if you bring a guy in that can right now get me 10-7 and seven and into the playoffs, sign me up as a Colts fan. As a fan, again, you're not the only one. That's that's what, kind of my point, is that there are no less than – I mean, I, I looked at the list, and I was like, realistically, based on their situation with their current quarterback, there are 18 NFL teams that 
could pursue Lamar Jackson and would immediately be better. 18, more than half the league in my estimation, realistically should try to get Lamar Jackson and would become a better team tomorrow. So again, if you're going to argue with me that his market's zero, I, I just, I don't see that. I don't see it at all. Do you, all right, I want to go back to your mock draft. You have Bryce Young as the best player in the draft. You're a general manager, and we all know that the quarterback draft, right, I mean, can make or break you. Trubisky, not Mahomes, made or break a couple GMs in Chicago. If you are and the number one, you have the number one pick, and you're running a team, and you got to have a quarterback, are you comfortable with, he's not necessarily a running quarterback, a moving quarterback that's so slight in Bryce Young? Yes, I am, because he shows a trait that I look for in young quarterbacks that a lot of them don't show, which is his pocket presence is absolutely outstanding, and you can't teach that. And he'll come in with that, and I think that's going to be huge. He decreased his sack numbers in college drastically in his second year. I'm not worried about Bryce Young, but I the reason I have him as my number one player and Stroud going ahead of him is because of what you're talking about. I do think that there is a little bit more risk with him not being – you know, people see Kyler Murray as a great example of someone who very athletic, good thrower, a little small, and now we're seeing how that's playing out. Now, I don't, I don't compare those two because from everything I know, Kyler Murray's sort of attitude was an issue going into the draft, whereas I don't see any of that with Bryce Young. Nick Saban's been very effusive about the praise of Young. And also we've seen Jalen Hurts and Tua both have some success at the NFL level, and there ain't no doubt Bryce Young's better than both of them. So... No, I don't have any problem with Bryce Young at, at number one. If if you were a general manager, and because this is the way the NFL has gone, and we all knew it, uh, running back $10 million, quarterback, what, $32 million on the tag, edge rusher, $20 million. Man, again, I'm in Indy where we think that the running back and the left guard are our saviors you got to have weapons, baby, and weapons can be on the defensive side of the ball making a sack or a pick. Yes. <laughs> Was that a rhetorical question? It seemed like an obvious statement. It is, but, I mean, so many teams miss on it. Like, I don't know. We, we Just get a wide receiver. Get an edge rusher. Is this draft – you've done mock drafts. Is this draft great, good, mediocre – bad or awful in terms of playmakers? I guess it depends how you look at it, because I agree with you. There are some really talented edge rushers in this draft. The cornerback depth, I think, you know, I mocked Deontay Banks, who I think could be a top one, two, three corner in most drafts as the fifth cornerback off the board for me. Um, cornerbacks can be playmakers, to your point. And in fact, Dan, to your point, when I started doing this mock draft, you know what I noticed? The biggest theme amongst the top, the teams picking in the top 10, bad defense. Six of the teams in the top yes. 10 are in the bottom six in defense. All of them need defense. Like, that's not a coincidence. All the teams that are there are there because of defense. And there are guys, Will Anderson being one, Tyree Wilson, who I'm in love with. Uh, he's a guy who's rising up my draft board, maybe not everyone. So I think, I think he's safe because he's only rising up one draft board. You know, like you say, when, it, when you're rising up too many draft boards, it's a problem. But I like Tyree Wilson a lot. <laughs> um, who knows what's going to happen with Jalen Carter? Someone... You know, I hate to say it this way because the legal troubles, but like, you know, if you get Jalen Carter at five, six, seven, eight, 
is, I mean, hard to view that as not a steal. Again, pardon the phrasing, but it's like you're getting a guy who some people think is the best player in the draft. The only moral, what do you call it, the only morality play that I would make if I were a NBA guy is I would want to know, did he was, he was he involved in the person dying, the people dying? I mean, what you know, if he's speeding and acting like an idiot and it wasn't his fault, great. That's the only thing. Danny Z, you are the man. Thanks for jumping on, my friend. Seth Greenberg in two minutes. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, this segment could be called Bald is Beautiful because when you look at the both of us, it is just absolutely glorious. Seth, I saw your text this morning. I should never do this because, yeah, man, oh, my we, God. We do it all we see is your dome. I mean, you got a good-looking dome, but, I mean, I mean, the head down with the top of the head, you look like you had a little sun or you have a little makeup on, but it's not a good look. No, no makeup, just sun. Uh, all right, let's get into it. Your friend, my friend, Jim Beheim, uh, three-point shot by Wake Forest, ended a 58-year run at Syracuse, 47 of them. Maybe it didn't end the run, but 47 of them as the head coach. Two things, your thoughts on Beheim, and then, of course, Adrian Red Autry being, being named the head coach. Well, I think, uh, look, Beheim's career is ridiculous if you think about it. 1,100 wins, five Final Fours, a national championship. Yeah, you think about the names. You think about Derek Coleman. You think about Pearl Washington. You think about Sherman Douglas. You think about Billy Owens. You think about all the great players that played there. You think about moving from Manly Fieldhouse to the Carrier Dome and putting 32, 33,000 people in for a game. And those half of those people couldn't even see the court. They were so far away. Having said that, you know, it, it was time. Uh, you know, nothing lasts forever. Uh, I think that it was a little bit uncomfortable to say the least how he walked away you know he's told people he had a retirement speech but you know no one knew it was a retirement the last time i said well i'm retiring i can't thank you all enough for everything your support it wasn't that way it was typical cryptic jim Beheim. uh but what an amazing coach he showed agility he started as a man-to-man coach he went zone they depressed they played all different types of ways uh 47 years the same school as a head coach i mean we will not see that again we, he's a human encyclopedia. I had an hour and a half with him on the court. Benetti and I did before a game. He, he just wanted to talk. He's an encyclopedia, man. He goes back to Julius Irving, Norm Ellenberger, getting guys out of prison to play again. I mean, it's unbelievable what that man, I, I'm, you know, he, he said he wrote a book once. He doesn't think anybody would be interested. But, man, does that he's like a walking museum, that guy. Yeah, he's walking. Yeah, the funniest thing is, if you ever visit him in his office, which I did uh, a number of oh. times when Jackie was there, he sits there. He watches talk radio on TV all day, and he worries about what everyone <laughs> said. 
And unfortunately, that's, you know, I mean, towards the end, I, I've got to be honest, even yesterday, I mean, walking off the court at the halftime is his interview with Andrea Carter, where he kind of brushed her off. And in the postgame press conference, I don't think you can coach angry. You can coach hard, but you can't coach angry. And I thought it was at the end, it was time. Uh, and I wish, and this was my wish, this didn't happen. Like he deserved yesterday to say, you know, what a great run I've had. I've, I've been really, really fortunate and blessed. I've had great players. I've had great support administration. I mean, I never thought this was going to happen. Instead, you know, it was a confrontational end to uh, an amazing career. All right, Red Autry, you know how it is. Hey, what a great career. Who's the next coach? You know, we, we've all been both. We've all been the next coach, and we've both been the guy that's, you know, he's out. Hey, you're on my TV right now, by the way. Anyway, uh, Adrian get- Red Autry, thoughts? Uh, you look Red good. Was my former, I, Red was my former assistant at, at Virginia Tech. I hired him when he was a high school assistant coach. He was a great player at Tallentine High School in New York City. Went to Syracuse. Had a good career, not a great career. Used that career, went overseas a little bit, then decided what he wanted to get into coaching. And he didn't skip any steps. And that's the thing uh, that I think I'm most proud of and why I think he's going to be really successful. He wasn't a guy that said, boom, he you know, he came back from overseas. I want to be in this. No, he went and he got involved in grassroots basketball some with a really good program and team takeover. He was a JV assistant. Then he was a varsity assistant. Then we brought him on as director of basketball operations. And I saw something special in him. Uh, unbelievable work ethic ability to relate was totally not an enabler. I mean, he was hey, if a guy messed up. I mean, I, I red would just handle it. He would handle it. Uh, he, he, he can really coach player development, uh, not afraid to coach guys hard, not afraid of confrontation, but he, he confronts in a way that um, players understand that he really cares, but he will challenge those players and he will push those players, uh, but he'll also love them up. And uh, he's got a great family, great wife, Andrea. Uh, Andrea, And I think he's going to do a really good job. You won't see probably as much zone is my gut feeling. I think he'll, you know, he'll probably change defenses some. Uh, but I think that he'll be able to recruit. He's got ties, obviously, to the university. But he's got to do it in his own personality. You know, and I think that, that I think a good lesson is to learn from Hubert Davis and John Shire. Both guys took over jobs, filed legends, but they did it in their own personality. And I think that's the most important thing as a head coach. Try got to be who you are. Be comfortable in your own skin. If not, you know, players are gonna they're gonna they're gonna see it right away. Yeah, players know. Hey, uh, Mark Adams. Mark Adams, I don't know. I'll I'll let you dis- I've discussed it a lot on my show here. What are your thoughts down in Texas Tech? Uh, I know Mark Adams really well. Uh, I spoke to their team this year. I've been up to Texas Tech the last three years. Uh, Again, I don't know what happened. I don't know the scriptures. I don't know the Bible very well, Uh, just being totally honest. I I know one thing, that dad does not have a racist bone in his body. That guy cares about people. He loves his players. He's a a really uh, a terrific person. Forget about coach. He's a terrific person uh, that obviously what he said was – from what I hear, was offensive. Uh, but I'm, I guarantee you whether it was offensive or not, which if it was, I'm sure he apologized because that's not who he is. But it's surely his intention. His intention surely wouldn't be to offend anyone. He is one of the more inclusive people I know. And uh, he's really a good person who really cares. 
who's done everything at every level in, in, in basketball. And obviously Texas Tech was his alma mater and his dream job. Uh, and I, I feel for him because people are depicting him in a way that surely I know without a doubt in being around him and listening to him talk about his players and former players. I mean, a guy grew up through junior colleges. I mean, he cares about anyone and everyone. And it has nothing to do with race, religion, or anything else. And uh, it just, uh, obviously, how it came out or what he said. Again, I, I haven't even looked at it because I don't want to read any of the stuff until I speak to Coach because uh, I know the essence of the man he is. That's well said. No, that's, that's really well said. North Carolina yesterday uh, looked pretty good. Uh, how many more do they have? And it's a two-part question. I don't know about you, brother, but damn, Gonzaga looked good against an overmatched St. Mary's team. I'll hit, I'll hit Gonzaga first. Gonzaga's guard. I think that's the biggest. You know Gonzaga's going to play fast. They're going to play with flow. They pass the ball. They move the ball. They play. Gonzaga's guard. I like that little three-quarter court trap, which basically limits their exposure in the half court. I like their ball screen defense. I thought they were much more aggressive. Uh, I thought they were flying around, and, and I thought defensively they looked good. Carolina's, I think they got to get to the finals. Like, here's what happened yesterday with Carolina. That was a game they couldn't afford to lose. Today's a game they have to win. So there's a difference. That was a game they couldn't win. This is a game they have to win. That, that, winning today doesn't get them in the tournament. Now, they beat, they beat Virginia when they had Armando Baycott. They lost to him when Armando played one minute and got, you know, got hurt. So uh, I think if Armando plays, they have a good chance. All comes up. Uh, Carolina comes down to shot selection and competing. I mean, if their shot selection's good, uh, they're good. Uh, if they're competing defensively, they can get out and transition some. They're a thirty percent three point shooting team. They shot the cover off the ball yesterday. Can they do that two nights in a row? I don't know. They can if they take good shots. Uh, they're going to have to have patience because you know you're not going to unless you play ahead of the defense against Virginia. You're going to have to cut hard, screen hard, move the ball. It can't get stuck. If it gets stuck, then you're shooting a contested shot, and that will not be good for North Carolina. Um, in the Big Ten, Ohio State playing better. A Ooh. third seed for Indiana. A two seed for Northwestern. Yay, rather fighting Chris Collins is, but Ohio State's playing better. Ohio State-Iowa could be a little sexy today. That's a big-time game. Uh, Iowa's not guarding right now. Uh, they've gotten back to their – we're going to outscore you mentality. I think the stare down didn't work very well. It's the stare down karma because all I had to do the other night was win. Uh, and the stare down, down the stretch was ineffective. So uh, karma is, you know, it's one of those things that eventually catches up with you. So uh, I love Northwestern, but I'll tell you, Ohio State's playing well. Thornton's playing well. Suing's got to be disciplined in terms of his shot selection. He can't try to be just, he can't try to be Bryce Sensabaugh. Be yourself. Uh, Akpar is playing, giving him a little inside rim protection. I like the way Ohio State's playing. And and Dan, you and I know this. The hardest thing to do as a coach is when your team goes south, remaining upbeat, continuing to co- continue to keep everyone on the same page, continuing to get guys to buy into competing to win. Chris Holtman. What he's done, two guys have done that. Josh Pastor, Georgia Tech loses nine in a row in the middle of the season. They've won seven of their last nine. And Chris Holtman, they've done a great job. And like people try to give guys a hard time. What, what the essence of coaching 
is you can lose your team real easy when you start playing poorly. And those two guys, man, they've done a good job. Hey, uh, Duke-Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh looks good to me. 89 points, beat Pastors team. But I got to tell you, you were, you were there, I assume. Uh, Duke-Carolina, Duke winning that game, that's a big-time win for a young team and a young coach, man. That's the kind of win that can jump you up a little bit. John Shire is a good coach. Uh, you know, he's developed this team. You know, I think he showed great patience with this team. You know, they did the injuries early. Derek Lively was hurt. Whitehead was hurt. Jeremy Roach was hurt. Uh, moved, moved Proctor, Darius Proctor to the point guard, which freed up Roach to play ahead of the defense, which was a great move. They can really guard. They can really offensive rebound. Filipowski, instead of early in the season, shoot threes, is backing people down, catching in the post. They're a terrific offensive rebounding team. The two things they do well, Pitt struggles with. They run you off the three in the offensive rebound. Pitt does an offensive rebound and shoot a ton of threes. That'll be an interesting thing to watch. Uh, Pitt's really good. I mean, they're old, man. They're old. They're older than the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're starting line. Now, think about that. They are old and physical. Nellie Cummings is, is plays with great maturity at the point. Jamaris Burton just gets in the lane. Uh, Blake Henson's good. And I'll tell you, my man, Federico, Federico, he's so good they named him twice has become a legitimate, legitimate low-post presence. I think Pitt is really good. It'll be interesting to see how much they've improved. Duke got them the first time, close game. Interesting to see how how much they've improved in this game uh, today. Hey, I'm sure you saw this. No Bill Self today. He's sick against, I forget who they play, Uh, West Virginia maybe. No Bill Self today, big boy. No big self, Bill Self against the winningest coach, current coach in college basketball now, the Huggy Bear. Hey, think about you know, that. Hey, let me go back to some before. I, I, I love that. Let me go back to something that uh, with Bayheim. Seth, I don't know. You know, I know Coach K had a long run, but he was at two schools. I, I, I don't know if maybe Joe Paterno. I don't know, but I don't know of anybody else. Nobody can compare in terms of longevity at one school. Right, one school. It's like Nobody. fifty, like forty-seven, fifty-eight years. Four, fifty-eight. I mean, come on, man. No, no. It's and you know what? It's amazing because you know, the longer you're at a place, the more you ruffle some feathers. So it took him fifty-eight years to ruffle feathers. And and look, I think yeah. the administration. I think the administration did the right thing. I know he tried to kind of intimate. I think they look. It was time, and he should be celebrated, and he should celebrate himself. But man, he just won that and does do it. <laughs> uh, does Patrick Ewing coach another game for Georgetown? I don't think so. I think it's hard. I mean, I just think yeah. it's hard. I mean, I think, you know, what a great thing for have him come back. It was great that he got up to the NCAA tournament. But it's like anything else. Uh, you are what your record says you are. And, you know, universities, uh, you can't afford to – let him go, but you can't afford to keep, basically. One yeah. thing about Patrick. Last, last he'll thing. He'll always go be ahead. a Hoya. Yeah, just Patrick Ewing will always yeah. be a Hoya. Yeah, and that's the beauty of staying four years. Like, guys like him and Mullen, they stayed, you know, and Jordan three years. Hey, Seth, uh, people are asking me, so I'm going to ask you, before we get into Purdue playing – you know, Purdue fans, 1980s the last time. Is Purdue, in your opinion, a Final Four favorite? I wouldn't say a favorite, but I think they're a Final Four team. 
I wouldn't say a favorite, but I would say they're in the mix of the eight, eight or so teams. I still like them. I think that, you know, look, they got worn down a little bit. The season's long, especially these young guys. I think that kind of they'll be rejuvenated. Uh, they Look, they won the Big Ten Championship. That's just something to celebrate. I think that rejuvenates your team. I think the game's officiated differently in the NCAA tournament. I think Edie's going to live on a foul line. And I think that'll open up scoring opportunities for those guys in the perimeter to get more open shots as opposed to, like, I thought at the end of the season people were mugging uh, Zach Eady. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to finish with this. How far does Indiana go? That's a great question. I, I, I think Indiana is going to play in the championship game in the Big Ten tournament. I think that. And then I think they get to the second weekend. Um, they had a, you know, Iowa killed them at home. They didn't show up after the Purdue loss. A little immaturity for an old team. But you know one thing about Indiana, Seth? When they're, and they've been good over the last couple months, they don't make mistakes at the end of the game. They really don't. They 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 execute they and execution is simply spread it out and throw it to Jackson Davis, but they don't screw up at the end of the game, Seth. And I, I swear to God, I, I put it out on a tweet. Coach Knight always had a saying, and I remember it from my first day at Indiana. Stupid loses more than smart wins. And I'm seeing guys make really dumb plays and some great plays at the end of games. I mean, really dumb plays. Indiana doesn't make those plays. They, are they good enough? I don't know. But maybe I'm biased, but I think they make a nice little run here. I think it's a good march for the Hoosiers. What do you think? I think, I think they got a legitimate shot. I'm a huge Shalen Hutchinson guy. I think Galloway adds something to him at times. I think that obviously, uh, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, that, that, he, that dude is just different. And I think Grace Thompson's got to be a little more assertive. I'd like to see him a little bit more aggressive. Appreciate you, my man. What time are you on so we can watch you? 12 o'clock. I don't know what network we're on. I know we, we, the ACC games. I don't know. I think the uh, Big 12's the morning session uh, on ESPN. We're, we're on the deuce. We're on the deuce, Danny. <laughs> I, I am going to be in and around Connecticut coming up here in April, and I've been lifting, and I just started hitting the ball in a simulator 290 yesterday. I want a piece well, of you I- in fitting, big boy. You got it. I, I actually got the heavy club out in the garage and swung it a couple times to loosen up the shoulder. That's my extent. But I'll be ready. For you. <laughs> it's hell to get old, baby. <laughs> then you back into the river. <laughs> the man that baptized me, the man made me walk into the water in the Bahamas because he was beating me, and it was this. It was this. All the this. So much. <laughs> Love you, brother. Thanks. Hi, buddy. All right, that's the great Seth Greenberg. Catch him today at noon. He'll break it down better than anybody. Nice of him to join in. Hey, Outkick, or excuse me, hey, all of you guys that are on the YouTube chat, can't thank you enough. Uh, You got a quick woke dope for me, uh, Dylan and Ryan? There's always a sassy little woke dope. Yeah, man. Yeah, he went on a personal trip and got COVID. I think he's been vaxxed like six times. And, man, the Libbies are coming at Clay hard. Thanks to Clay, by the way, for retweeting the show. Whenever he retweets it, it goes way up. 
Uh, right now, Brad Buffington, Clint Eastwood, 12, Draconian, who's your daddy, Iron Man, John Buzzer, John Datsman, J.R. Means, Lick, uh, Linda, S.D., Outkick, Ryan Mueller, Senator B.S., uh, S.L. STL St. Louis Cards fan. Gonna be a great afternoon. Before we go, uh, I gotta give you today's parlay. I got one that I'm not as in love with as yesterday's was stupid. But here's what I got, and I'm a little concerned about a couple of the games. The first one uh, is East Carolina, 12:30, taking on South Florida. I'm taking South Florida. Then I'm taking Marquette over St. Louis, which starts at noon. And in about 30 minutes, VCU, I'm taking them over Davidson. So it's South Florida, Marquette, VCU is one of my parlays that I'm going to hit you with today. The other parlay, and I did not know Self was out, but I'm taking Kansas and UConn to get us into plus money. Last one, Toledo, VCU, and Marquette. Toledo's playing Miami. They're going to win by 100 or at least win by one. All of these are money line. Dylan and Ryan and Caitlin and Haley and Chuck and, of course, Aaron and Gary and Clay, thank you all for joining. Thank you all for being here. We'll see you tomorrow.